hello to my fellow roadrunners and maybe any Texas State Bobcats that uh, have a you know persecution complex or or massachusetts or whatever welcome to episode 223 of the alamo alba podcast this is your host and producer jared kamas joined by my co-host age bermudez who is rocking the gorgeous uh banditos alamo audible collection bandana looking great man looking great check it thank out you, sir thank you sir i appreciate store. that adrian i know it killed you to not be in the alma dome this past saturday the many sacrifices of, of young fatherhood mm. Ugh. but how did you enjoy watching the game from the comfort of your home? I enjoyed getting a win. I'll tell you that much. To quote the famous uh, Mr. Rodriguez of <laughs> San Antonio Express News, I believe it's uh, our boy Taco Joe that gave the quote. Oh, that you're talking. About, yeah, that was a Dave Campbell's article. That was a Dave Campbell's article. That was on Ishmael's yeah, yeah. article. Yeah, got got to give Ish's flowers. The sun rises in the east, sets in the west. The moon controls the tides, and the UTSA Roadrunners beat the Texas State Bobcats. Yes, indeed. Nature runs its course. Mother Nature is never wrong, and all is right in the world, folks. 20 to 13 Roadrunners. 5 and 0 Roadrunners. That is the reality. We put the five in I 35 and 0 rivalry, baby. <laughs> yes, indeed. UTSA Roadrunners still own little brother, Texas State. Felt good. Felt good. Baby Antonio got to watch his first Roadrunners win. Oh, meet me. And, you know, he was being babysat during the U of H game. So technically he didn't watch that game. So he didn't watch the Roadrunners lose. And maybe that's the key. Maybe, maybe you know, not to get too much on the on the voodoo side of things. Superstition. But maybe I just need my dude tuned in to the Roadrunners. And, and that'll be the key to our success. It happened for the Cowboys game, too. So, hey, I don't know. Well, I'm ready for him to be old enough to come to the game and take up one of your season tickets because Adrian was the LVP, least valuable player of the game. Three of his four season ticket seats were taken up by Bobcat fans. I will not name my good friend, fellow UTSA alumnus. We'll call him Judas. That... Got that that I gave those tickets to, by the way, at the U of H game. He's like, hey, man, just let me know. However, I can buy your seats. I'm like, bro, bro, you don't have to buy my seats. You don't pay for my seats. You are a fellow Roadrunner alum. We are boys. You take these seats. And I told him, the only thing I ask you to do is bang the sign. Oh, the sign got banged. This dude the sign put got banged. Maroon and gold freaking ass T-shirts in my season ticket seats they're disgraced they're forever unclean they're destroyed i have to do a full-on i need a freaking i need a father from san fernando cathedral to come over and perform an exorcism on those two seats to get rid of the filthy disgusting bobcat demons that are now seeped into uh, the sweet club level cushion that I sit on and call home. You've got to be kidding me. You have to be freaking kidding me. Jared, I'm so sorry about that. Everyone in our section, I'm so sorry about that. Man, it was uh it was a shock to say the least. Uh I just assumed that they were sitting in those seats without permission. But that's all right. It's a lesson learned. And Dude, honestly, honestly I did you ask for the ticket stub on him? Like, <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> no, because your your friend was there. He was like, "Hey, hey, hey you're Adrian's buddy or whatever." 
Um, but, uh, the Texas State fans were very nice. I, I did enjoy watching the game with them. They're they're very pleasant. It was just a pretty funny, um, <laughs> pretty funny scenario to be in. I, I did not learn from your mistake though. I gave my seats for Friday away to a friend who's bringing some of his coworkers. I think it is to their first UTSA game. And I did not check to verify that they are not like army vets or something. So uh, we'll see how that goes. If you sit in our section, let us know. I will certainly be screening all ticket giveaways from here on out as to which side of the poll does your fandom fall on. And if it's not the blue and orange side, you're not getting these ticks, bro. So let that PSA um, (laughs) go out to the, the roadrunner world. Yeah. Well, before we get into the Texas State breakdown, I do want to give two quick shout outs to some new subscribers on our Patreon. Uh, Shout out to the Silva Surfer who signed up at the Insider tier and Upgrade, G-R-E-Y-Y-E-D, who signed up at the Booster tier. And I'll use this opportunity as a reminder that uh, you can sign up for Patreon anonymously. So, you know, if you're in the... If you're in the public figure or something and you're curious about what's behind the paywall, we we don't have to know. You can use a burner email even to be really sneaky. Yeah, absolutely. You don't have to put absolutely. your address in. You don't have to put your name in. You want your friends serious. to know that you listen to Alamo Audible. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to tell them. But yeah, shout out to those two. So, man, interesting experience in the Alamo Dome. What was it? 49,342. That's right. Second largest attendance in program history. Wow. Only underneath the inaugural game, man. That is unreal. It's a lot of people, man. It was crazy. I I know other people did not have the experience. I thought the game... uh, My perception is definitely warped because I enter on the north side of the stadium, whereas most people come to the south side. I also said the club level, so there's less seats up there. Uh, But I thought the Alamodome staff handled the crowd pretty well from okay. my experience of just where I sat. Beautiful. Um, but I, I know that's not the case for other folks as well. But from what I've seen, having gone to a lot of games, uh, it was much better managed than some that I've been to that had a large attendance. So that, that was a relief to see. Got in and out easy. Lines weren't too bad. Bathrooms I did go right. in really early because it was so hot at the tailgate. It was brutal. I knew they were going to do the championship banner reveal. So I wanted to be in my seat extra early. But yeah, I mean, when I when I was getting up to go to the restroom and go to get a drink or whatever, lines were moving pretty quickly. Not terribly long, not much longer than other like, you know, 25 to 30 K games that I've been to. I got to say, that was probably the biggest bummer to me for missing out on the game. I mean, you know, you want to be at a rivalry game. However, if I could choose mm-hmm. any opponent to go to this entire season, it wouldn't be the freaking Texas State game. However, when I see the ticket maps just going completely white completely blank because there's no availability in any of the sections when i see those screenshots and i see the tweets everyone talking about this looking like this thing is going to break 50k 45k 50k that's where i started to get it the fomo like oh my gosh the packed alamo dome the volume mm-hmm. the decibels the packed parking lot for the tailgates how was that seen in lot b and lot c I didn't get to like really peruse the tailgate lots as much as I normally would. Um, I had some car trouble coming into town. Mm. Um, so that delayed me a little bit, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, so I mostly just hang, hung out in my usual spot in C3 and lot C. Um, but it, it was very active for sure. Great scene. Great seeing everyone. Seeing a lot of subscribers. 
get a lot of questions, compliments, concerns, uh, whatever, the whole, the whole gamut of podcast <laughs> opinions, store opinions, guest podcast opinions. Uh, I heard it all. So thank you guys for sharing your feedback as always. Beautiful. No, no wow. one would like talking crap about us, obviously, but yeah, fun times. Wow. Incredible. That's great. That's great. And so Texas State contingency, Jared, I think I uh, put the over under at about 7,000 traveling Texas State Bobcat fans. What did you say? What would you guesstimate that number ended up coming out to? They might have doubled 7K. I, I would say like 12 to 14K. Like like a like a clear cut for certain five figures. Yeah. Well I over think 10 so. grand. Well over 10,000. I think so. Hot damn. There were a lot of Bobcats there. A lot. They were spread out throughout the stadium, uh, but they were everywhere. Yeah, sure. Sure. I mean, San Antonio is, I wouldn't be surprised if San Antonio had more Texas State alumni in its greater city limits. Man, that's a great question. Yeah. I mean, mathematically, they're going to have an edge because A, they've been around for so much longer. They have old alumni that we don't have. Mm -hmm. You know, average age of a UTSA alumnus is like, what, 42, 38, something crazy young like that. Um, yeah, that would be my question. assumption. That would be my assumption. I, I would assume there's more yeah. Texas State alum in the Bear County area than there are but, at UTSA. You know, in, in my experience of having been to probably 80 to 90% of UTSA home football games that have ever been played, I think this is by large the largest traveling fan base I've ever seen in the Alamo Dome. Wow. wow. They weren't the loudest. They weren't the most organized or anything like that, but just in sheer numbers, there were a lot, a lot, a lot of Texas State students. I felt like half of their student body was at the game. More Texas State students than you've ever seen inside of Bobcat Stadium? Yes. By far. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's a big, it was a big event, man. I mean, Texas State fans were at their absolute high for football. And God knows how long. You know, definitely the first time for any of these young kids that they've had anything to be excited about. And then, you know, UTSA is coming off these two great seasons. So hype is at an all-time level for them as well. And you know how San Antonio is. When something's a big event, word spreads, especially if tickets are cheap. And it's going to draw a crowd. Um, show up. That's right. So I, that is kind of something I want to rant about. And th- I think this goes for both sides of the fan base that were, the, were at the game. I didn't think it was that loud. I thought the crowd was really underwhelming. And... I know some former radio jockey jackass was getting flamed on, on Twitter for having this opinion. I thought the crowd was just not as engaged, not as loud as I would expect for a crowd of this size for 49 K. I mean, I, I had the, the past two championship games, uh, the 2021 UAB game uh, way louder, way louder with like 15,000 less people in the dome. And my theory, I have two theories on that. My first theory is that both fan bases were just super nervous through the whole game because it mm. was a really tight game. Mm. And there weren't a lot of like huge plays, right? They're, like Texas State had like one really long pass that should have been a touchdown. They got tripped. And then, you know, UTSA had their, their two touchdowns. But for the most part, it was kind of like body blow after body blow. Mm-hmm. Um, so there weren't like these just crazy jubilation moments. Right. Um, but you would expect a solid noise level on third down either way. 
almost in there. And then that kind of ties into my second theory was that a lot of casual fans, both Texas State and UTSA, were at this game. And I think when you look at like a championship game or the UAB game where you're, it's essentially a play-in game for the championship, you're drawing a lot of hardcores that maybe don't live in town that are going to come to that game and like go out of the way to get there. Um, so I think you have a higher percentage of fans that are diehards, that know the team, that know the players, that know the situations. And then uh, for a game like this, you're having a lot more people that go to one game a year, haven't been to a game in five years, but it's this a big is- event and they show up. This is the difference between, you know, local San Antonio and that body UTSA t-shirt, maybe going with some family or some friends to the game mm-hmm. versus UTSA alum or student that is really, truly die hard, wants to see that win, gets up, they're banging, they're screaming at the top of their lungs, they're making all the noise they can, they feel a part of that contest versus going to it for entertainment purposes and having a fun Saturday. And um, our boy, Stephen Whitaker, did drop the decibel readings. Yes. For the Texas State game. Yes. To the 2022 CUSA Championship, the 2021 CUSA Championship, the UAB 2021 play-in game for the Western Division, and last year's U of H season opener. The only game that this uh, Texas State game read louder on on the decibel reader was last year's opener against U of H. But both Conference USA Championship games and the play-in game versus UAB significantly louder in the Alamo Dome than it was for the game against Texas State. I think your strongest point is the explosive plays part. Mm Mm-hmm. But even then, like that consistent volume on third down, that craziness mm-hmm. felt like it was just, I mean, numbing during those Conference USA championship games. Yeah. During that I mean, like, you, you couldn't hear yourself think. And, and it also to that point about the decibel reading being higher for those games, think of like the decibel per thousand fans. Mm. You know what I mean? Like the, the efficiency of the crowd, if you will. Uh, was pretty bad for this Texas State game. Right, right. Because in all of those games, you had a low 40,000 number in right. attendance. 42, 41. I think U of H yeah. last year probably had like 38 or something. The championship game, I want to say, was a, was about 41, 42 range. I think 42, yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, dude, that's that's seven, 8,000 people less in the stands. Yeah. So... It's a Granted, you know, that difference is probably mostly Texas Day fans, to be fair. Sure. But you would think like the two fan bases would feed off of each other, getting loud. And there'd be some real warring going on in there. Yeah, right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, it didn't feel that way for me. And, and I, I know like where you sit has a lot to do with that. Our section was completely dead. I mean, no one was standing up on third down other uh-huh. than me and my friends. Uh-huh. And I, I felt like it was that way for almost all of the stadium. I haven't heard from people in the student section. The student section was just not as engaged and rowdy as usual. I wonder if also the lack of offensive production has people checking out a little bit during the game. I mean, that's what you want to see. You go there to watch the, the, you will go there to see the points get scored. You want the big plays and we're just not getting those, but we'll get to that. We will get to that. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, if you're getting a stop on third down almost every time, maybe you don't feel the need to get up out of your seat and, and yell and clap. Right. For every for third the, down. For that, right. You know, seventh third down stop you got coming up. So <laughs> sure. I don't know. It was just, it was weird. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to cover up for that guy on Twitter. <laughs> what was it? Mike, Mike Menez, I think his name. I feel bad even giving him the attention. He obviously so desperately is craving. Um, but I, I mean, I actually kind of agree to this take. The, the crowd was not what I expected. Mm. But hopefully, you know, you convert some casual fans into more hardcore. Fan bases are built game by game, year by year, right? So it's all incremental. Um, and I mean, I, I guess it's probably ludicrous of us to sit here and kind of criticize the crowd uh, when this people show, people showed up and it was loud, you know, objectively loud. Um, but yeah, it's work, still a work in progress. The thought that Texas State versus UTSA in 2023 can draw 49,000 people into a stadium to watch that game is pretty amazing. It really is. Just phenomenal stuff, man. Phenomenal stuff. Yeah. So by my research, it's the highest attended game between two G5 programs since 2019. Mm -hmm. And then there's another one in 2018. Uh, Both of those were were AAC on AAC matchups. First time for a Sunbelt team to get in there. um, Thanks to the friendly confines of the Alma Dome, but just a cool stat. And, you know, I think we're going to have a lot more turnouts of that size heading into the AAC. I hope. Beautiful stuff. No, Last ESPN thing Plus. I'll say. Yeah, yeah, I know. Does that suck? <laughs> and then the, the games that were on TV over this one were like ECU getting destroyed by Marshall and mm. Rise in Houston was on NFL Network. There was another game too that got on TV that I felt like that it was a home game for the AAC that I felt like UT State Tech State was probably a better matchup. But yeah, yeah, you know, I I don't really blame the networks for that because nobody expected Texas State to be competitive like this this year. Of course, so of course, you know, but you know, maybe next year the the Sun Belt will get a TV slot for UTSA's trip to San Marcos. All right, uh, last thing I'll say about God, man, I sound so whiny on this podcast. Jesus. <laughs> the last thing I'm going to complain about before we start talking about X's and O's and stuff. Adrian, you weren't there. I feel like you'd be really upset about this. Mm-hmm. Throughout the whole game, uh, UTSA and Texas State were doing like combined Palm Squad dance activity highlight things. The Texas State band and the UTSA band played together in a combined halftime show. God, disgraceful, despicable. It, it was really weird. It was really, really weird. It's I so know, annoying. It's so annoying. I know that these combined halftime shows happen. It happens usually when it's not too like blood rivals. I mean, right. I I like did some search on Google and I was like, combined halftime show, college football, blah, 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 blah. And all of them were like Ohio State and like a MEAC team or an SEC team and a SWAC team or something like that. It, it's a whole different ball game to do that against arguably your primary rival. If not, if not your primary, your secondary rival. It left a bad taste in my mouth, man. I didn't like it. And I, I highly, highly, highly doubt Texas State's going to return the favor in San Marcos next year. Oh, zero percent. Zero percent chance. Why should they? No, I already know. I already know that this is coming from the top 
brass of the UTSA band because they like doing really corny, really friendly type stuff like this. And dude, it's just dumb. It's stupid. There's no reason like for you to go out of your way to make this happen, to go and like make this whole, oh, we're in the band. We believe in unity and peace and love. Let's have this great thing. <laughs> no, like we don't like each other. This is a rivalry. You're destroying what makes the game so damn fun is the intense blood hatred of UTSA and Texas State. Why would you try to soften that with a really poorly performed, poorly executed halftime show? Because there's just no way you could collaborate with two different marching bands in a five-day turnaround time and come up with a decent on-field production, right? It's, it's quite literally logistically impossible. And it's like UTSA goes way too far out of their way to do corny things like this with the band and uh it's totally despicable it's disgraceful you're destroying a great rivalry by trying to get all buddy buddy with sam marcus by buddy buddy with texas state nobody likes it nobody wants it they should be playing their band music as loud and as annoying as possible to piss off utsa fans and we should be doing the same in contrast to them like last year when u of h's band came to the building and they were loud they were yeah. aggressive and they were destroying the fan volume they were getting after the guys on the sideline and the guys on field with those tubas and that brass section just booming booming down on you right and it got that game that much more fired up right mm -hmm. did you talk about no one in the crowd is making noise well, you got both bands playing together and shaking hands with each other and hugging each other. If Texas <laughs> State band is playing neck and UTSA's band is playing, hey, baby, I bet you some fans are getting a little more fired up out there, dude. You know, going after it a little bit more than that. But no, I think it's weak. I think it's corny. I think it's cheesy. I think it's a disgrace. Um, I also think it's kind of condescending. Like, just let the Texas State band play their own halftime show just like the mob does when Rice comes to San Antonio. 100%. Or just like Southern does when Southern comes to San Antonio. 100%. Yeah, it, it was really weird. It felt very high school, very amateurish. And the Pomacuas stuff was very, very bizarre. I mean, when I look down at my section and there are, like, maroon dancers with pom-poms, like dancing at me at a home game, it it was unsettling. Like I thought that there had been some mistake. It's really whack. Cut it out. Never do this again. Yeah, bad idea. It, 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 could you imagine if someone at UT proposed this for the A and M game? I'm sure, they get laughed out of the freaking building, dude. Think get about a grip. that. That's literally the equivalent of what it is, Jared. That's the equivalent of what it is. And I think there's a wider point to be had there. One university obviously takes this rivalry much more seriously than the other. And it's not the one that's won five in a row. Which makes it all the cooler <laughs> that UTSA keeps winning. <laughs> We're going to kick your ass, but you can come play with us. Yeah, you, know, you can, can come play with the little foods. Yeah, you know, yeah, you can bring the pom-poms. It's fine. <laughs> you know, whatever. You're still going to get that smoke. Was it the ultra troll move? Is it the highest level troll move? Yeah. So it, yeah. That uh, maybe it is a, like a little brother argument, I guess. I, should come and play I don't know. My opinion's kind of turned now that I think about this. <laughs> 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 oh, 
<laughs> oh my goodness. No, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, no, I'm just joking. We need to play yeah, things never loud in your face. Texas yeah. State should be doing the same. Yeah, man. Yeah. Forget any any buddy buddy. This is this not this week. Not this week. <laughs> They're gonna bring out a friendship basket at the next game. You remember in high school they used to do that? So lame. Why did they put those baskets? I never I never found out, you know. <laughs> you got the HEV tortilla, butter tortilla candle. Dude, my gosh, dude. Water burger gift card. You know, what what goes in those friendship baskets? I, you know, and, and curious minds want to know. All right. Anyways, um let's <laughs> let me collect my thoughts. I'm just like it's so loving, dude. It's so outrageous that they did this, man. It is. <laughs> it is outrageous. Oh, I, I agree 100 percent man. Yeah. All right, cool. I'm gonna do a pitch on Addery or sponsorship rate to try to pull myself together here. <laughs> Thank you to all of our big money donors who continue to support the Patreon at phenomenal levels. I think you guys are seeing us up level um, our the quality of our work and the cool stuff mm-hmm. we're able to do with like the software that we can afford to pay for now, uh, the contributors that we can afford to pay for and, and get them to, you know, put their hours in to help make an amazing product for you guys that we can all be proud of um, mm-hmm. as UTSA fans. So I'm just I'm having a very proud moment this week because our content has just been so great. So thank you to our big money donors on Patreon, including Ben Tovar, Rick Cortez of Red Road Grillers, the Bunch family, Zach Espedicueta and the San Antonio Podcast Network, the Fikes family, Alejandro Benavides, Dan Erdahl, the host of Around the Birdbath, Jacob Cavasso is the board president of the UTSA Alumni Association, Maddie and Mandy and Jenny, Jenna and Andy Ansaldua. And a special thank you to Homefield Apparel, where you can use discount code UTSA once Homefield to get 15% off your first purchase. These support, both supporting us and the Republic of Football Podcast Network. Also, fine folks were treated to a mailbag episode on patreon last week we got a lot of great questions right so if you're not a subscriber go check that out some of the questions are about the Texas state game uh but it'd probably still be an interesting listen post Texas state win i think there's a lot of relevant topics in that mailbag yeah yeah there's some big picture stuff still in there for sure yeah maybe maybe a couple skips that's fine i'm sure Mm -hmm. a lot of people skip through our whole section talking about band stuff that's cool Cool but what you really need to be tuned into is Jared's film room breakdowns, which are back and better than ever with the new video editing software, with voiceover narrations. I mean, it is like you are inside of the film room with Jared. Absolutely unbelievable. They're probably our most popular, most favorite piece of Patreon content. You just took them from 10 to 1,000 with the new video editing and the voiceover stuff. I mean, holy cow. Jared, inject it into my veins. That stuff is amazing, sir. Thanks, man. It's it's a lot of work. I mean, I don't think people realize I pretty much give up my entire Sunday every week during football season to do these film breakdowns. So I've had people come up to me and they're like, hey, why do you break down this play? I'm like, dude, I have to eat and go to sleep at some point on a Sunday. I got to get these things out, you know. Um, so I appreciate everyone who's given great feedback on those. I enjoy doing them. Uh, thank you guys so much. Really, really appreciate it. So speaking of breaking down the film, let's get into the X's and O's of UTSA's 30, Ooh. or sorry, 20 to 30, 30's old UTSA score. I want those to come back. UTSA's 20 to 13 win over the Texas State Bobcats, taking a perfect 5-0 lead in the I-35 showdown rivalry. Adrian, what was your primary takeaway from the win for the Roadrunners? Thank goodness we pulled it out. I mean, it yeah. was not yeah, that's fair. It was not pretty. A win is a win is a win, right? 
Mm-hmm. But look, man, there just seems to be a lot of misfiring happening on this UTSA offense for for a unit that averaged 37 points per game in both 2021 and 2022 to only have 34 points of total offense through two games in 2023. It's there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And, you know, when I watch the games develop and when I watch the offense progress, you see them doing a lot of the right things, but then when it comes time to capitalize on the setups that we're putting into place, we're not capitalizing at all. Hell, I don't even know if we're trying to capitalize on those setups that we're putting into place. It just seems like we're continuing to set up and set up and set. It's like, it's already been set up now. Open the thing up. Like, I feel like when I'm watching the pass game, we are a pass game that is playing horizontally as in we are passing the ball left and right rather than passing the ball forward downfield i think that's been my main bug with watching that offense is where is the shot i understand we don't want frank to take as many this year i understand we have a better running game to alleviate him of having to take all those shots but Ar- no, I, I'm, I'm going to push back on that. Arguably, when you have a better, more successful run game, that opens up more deep shots because you're going to throw safety. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. We should yeah. be seeing. We should be yeah. seeing those shots because yeah. we've got because we're doing the setup. We're setting. We don't have to see as many as we saw in 2021 and 2022, mm-hmm. where every single play was a shot from Frank. Now we're able to actually set up really damaging offensive drives where where we milk four to five minutes off the clock by way of, you know, Kavorian Barnes and Rocco Griffin running the ball down uh, down guys' throats, uh, Robert Henry. And then I want to see Frank with that three, four-step drop back and, and, and throw that 25-yard pass, that 30-yard bomb. We're not seeing it happen at all, man. I, it's like we're not even given the opportunity to see it. I would keep seeing a bunch of screenplays. I keep seeing a bunch of sideline throws. Uh, a couple dump downs, but where are the shots being taken? Where's that explosive UTSA high-flying offense that Roadrunners fans love to see that 49,000 people came to the Dome to watch? I think it's a complex answer to those questions. I don't know if I necessarily agree that they're not calling deep shots. I think that's part of the problem with the offense is they they are calling deep shots and guys are not getting open. Mm. When I did my film breakdown, there were a lot of plays where there was no checkdown option and the pass protection wasn't good enough. And, you know, guys just they just don't get open as quickly as like when Zakari and JT uh, were here and were healthy. Right. Um, so, I, I mean, I think they have taken some shots downfield. I think our perception of that is a little bit uh, skewed because we're not completing those downfield catches. Tyke dropped a touchdown pass that hit him in the chest. It was bad. Um, there in the Houston game specifically, there were several downfield pass attempts that were open that Frank misfired on, missed on, yeah, and he didn't connect on. So <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, I, I I could pull like the pass distance breakdown, um, and see how many deep shots per game have been taken. But I think part of it also is, uh, you know, Frank's not 100. 
Right. That much is obvious. We're going to talk about Frank's status later in the podcast, but I don't think that he's ha- he's generating like the, the torque or the power to really fling the ball downfield like he has the past two years. So I think that's influencing the offense a little bit as well. And uh, again, you know, injuries on the offensive line continue to rear their ugly head. Um, we're through two games. Ben Rios is out for a long time. Buffalo Cruz is out. Not sure how long. Makai Hart is out six to eight weeks. Daniel Ogundipe didn't dress last game. And there's one more. And Payne Hebert is out as well. Out of those five guys, you've got four potential starters. Ben Rios was probably ahead of DeAndre Marshall heading into fall camp as well. DeAndre Marshall's been playing a lot and he's been struggling. That has a huge part on the type of offense you can call, the kind of offense that you can execute. Five sacks from Texas yep. State's defense. Yep. Five. And a lot of them are really ugly showing some of the offensive line. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to be crazy critical on the offensive line all that much because, A, Texas State just completely sold out on the blitz. That is their whole defensive philosophy. Two weeks in a row now, they have not really been punished for it. I like I would have you said you saw a lot of screen passes. I wanted more screen passes. I kept calling for screens. I kept calling for tight end leaks. And then when they would call it, the execution just wasn't there. The execution wasn't there. There were a lot of screen plays where blockers totally missed in front of the receiver down there on the sideline. Right. It was like the the receiver and the blockers weren't in alignment on when to release upfield. Right. Right. That that's my main takeaway for this game, for this offense, for these two weeks of season is the offense has a sluggishness and a lack of sharpness to it that we have not seen over the past two seasons at UTSA. And I can't pinpoint any position unit, any player at all. And I don't know if that makes it more or less concerning Mm. because while UTSA has lost some guys, they're playing some young dudes. This team has a ton of returning experience on offense. The offense is the same. It was an in-house promotion offensive coordinator. So I just struggled to understand why a lot of these guys look like they're playing their first snaps. If Amador and McQueen and McCoy and Houston Thomas were out there looking lost, totally get it. That's completely expected. But when Oscar Cardenas is missing assignments, you know, when Walker Beatty is missing assignments, stuff like that. I don't know, man. It's kind of weird. And it's across the that. offense. Yeah. There's definitely a secret. Frank, Frank too. Frank Frank is missing a lot of reads, especially in the RPO game. There's been a lot of plays that if you would have handed it off, it would have been a huge, you know, 10-yard run. And then a lot of times, or, you know, he had a tight end uncovered and he doesn't see it. Just a lot, a lot of just... Things that we took for granted, I guess, execution-wise. But it's just strange to me that it's it's just suddenly become a problem. They're not in sync, man. The offense yep. is definitely not in sync at all. And it's so weird. I mean, this I was going to bring this up earlier when you're talking about, uh, you know, not being able to hit those deep shots, or you know, I, sorry if I'm not paraphrasing correctly. This offense doesn't have a killer instinct right now, and not that they're not calling for the the dagger 
on a drive because I think like the play they have had play calls where it's like that should have been a play to get in the end zone, but for whatever reason, no one steps up and makes a play. Whether that's Frank missing a throw, that's a lineman missing a block, a receiver dropping a catch. There's a lot of examples if you go back and rewatch these first two games where you know they stall out for a field goal but there was that opportunity there to make that 20, 30 yard play right. that would have got them in the red zone or got them in the end zone. Um, so I think a lot of that is a mental thing, a, you know, a leadership, you know, problem, someone trying to maybe try too hard to step up and be the next guy, the next Sakari or whatever, um, or vice versa. You know, people are shrinking in their big moment. I don't know what it is, but that part, I feel like gets eased out over the season. The more like general, lack of execution that's more concerning to me like i don't know if that gets cleaned up over the bye week or something but it's just weird because the offense does move the ball pretty well and that's the strangest part of it all that's it's like <laughs> you know the, the the yardage is pretty solid i mean i think these first two defenses that you just played have been pretty solid um no slouches for sure and they're putting out 450 yards and only getting two touchdowns bewildering it is Especially with, the, you know, there there is a lot of speed on this offense. Well, there's plenty of it. And there's and, and you see the flashes of brilliance, right? You see a guy hit the corner and make that move and he'll get a chunk of yardage. And like mm-hmm. you said, we've been moving the chains relatively consistently both of these games against Houston and Texas State. We're moving the ball downfield and then just stalling out, right? That, that lack of killer instinct, that... Whenever it's time to go and get into the end zone, we're just not doing it. And this team was extremely well on third down and on fourth down against Mm -hmm. Texas State. This is a squad that had the ball for 37 minutes, 37 and a half minutes. UTSA offense is in possession. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it's still a one-score game, Texas State. And that's so perplexing to UTSA fan that has watched this team play for the last two seasons, but they're out of sync. You know, Frank Ayers is not a hundred percent throwing the ball more. So he's not a hundred percent on his reads, on his vision. He's missing a lot of open guys. His timing isn't quite there. The offensive line. I mean, yes, we do have those injuries, but I mean, I'll go out and say that I don't think we're as tough up front as we thought we were going to be, even before mm-hmm. the injuries. I think that's fair at this point. Uh, and, yeah, our, our wide receivers seem to not be getting open because there have been times where Frank Harris is in the backfield for three, four seconds looking for that open guy, and he's not getting him. He's not finding him. Yeah. So maybe it's part of that. I think the the route combinations in the passing game could – could get cleaned up and modified a bit too. Okay. I think UTSA has really failed to utilize the middle of the field all that well. I feel like on a lot of plays, they don't have an option that's crossing across the linebackers of the safety space in the middle of the field. And I think that hurts. I, I think there's a lot of plays where you've got like uh, an X receiver on a go route and then you've got the wide receiver next to them doing like a skinny post. And it's just not, it's not putting enough like pressure on the defense to spread out and cover, you know, the whole entirety of the field, which is something that I thought Tech State did a great job of. Um, 
So I think there's a lot of room for improvement there as far as game planning goes. But yeah, it's complex. No, it just feels but, like it just feels like we're we're not getting the output that we should have. So I mean, there's definitely something broken on that offense. Is 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 the missing component of JT Clark not being a part of this offense for these last two games? I mean, is is one star wide receiver have that big of an impact on how your offense is firing, on how defenses are playing against you? I mean, is it as simple as pointing to JT Clark? Like whenever he suits back up and he returns, do all of a sudden we get that UTSA high-flying offense back, 30 points per game back? Or is it more than that at this point? I don't know, man. I mean, JT is a phenomenal player. I think he's going to get drafted fairly high in the NFL draft. But I don't know, man. It's just hard to imagine one receiver drastically changing the entire look of the offense. But I also think, too, I mean, I think the only thing that UTSA is really missing are those big explosive plays. Even with the execution misfires, they're still moving the ball well enough to pick up that consistent yardage. So I think our whole our whole tone around the offense changes so drastically if, you know, JT bust, you know, one, two long receptions to either score a touchdown or set up a touchdown a game. Mm-hmm. Or honestly, this has been driving me nuts, but man, I, I feel like all the running backs are so close to breaking off these massive runs and then like a shoestring tackle brings them down. Like if you go back and watch a lot of these five yard carries, I mean, they're like one step away from taking it to the house. And I, you know, I think the Cougars and the Bobcats have done a pretty good job closing in on the running backs and finishing those tackles. And I think against a weaker defense that doesn't have as good of tackling in the secondary. A lot of those plays are going to go for long touchdown runs. And I think the entire way we talk about this defense can change, but there's going to be good defense too, that are going to make those tackles. So. And I think that that those big plays, there's this intangible thing called momentum. Yeah. That we're not really able to measure through the stat box or through advanced analytics, but there's something to it. And a big, big part of this team's success is the momentum that carries over after big explosive plays are made mm-hmm. in UTSA's favor. I mean, that's and, how it also, Adrian, it causes the defense to adjust their strategy and to adjust their alignment. And it deflates the hell out of them. Yeah. Yeah. When you give up a 40 yard, when you give up a one handed grab to Oscar Cardenas, Right. And even though there's so, only 12 seconds left in regulation, UTSA is still able to get off the mm-hmm. game winning touchdown pass against North mm-hmm. Texas because of the momentum that it gave to the offense, because of the deflation that it did to the defense. They'd already beat themselves before UTSA even lined back up for that game winning touchdown pass. Going back yeah. to last year's I mean, team. To put it in practical terms, right? Texas State ran with two high safeties pretty much this whole game. Right. So there was a lot of space for the running backs to get the five, six, seven yard gains. And Texas State was happy to live with that. And that's the game you just say had to play. Big reason why they didn't have a lot of explosive plays was because they had the Bobcats had those two high safeties. But if Kavorian, Rocco, Henry, if they can break one and get past that top end safety, they're going to bring one of those guys down in the box. Ipso facto, that takes away secondary help from the receivers out wide, gives a better chance for Josh. Amador, McCoy, whoever it is, to get open deep, right? So these things all go hand in hand. And I really think, man, 
couple missed tackles completely changes both of these first two games. Oh, changes the way these defenses play against UTSA and just changes the whole discussion. But 100%. You know, it is what it is. But for me, there's um, there's like a game shifting moment, right? So UTSA yeah. goes up with a 10-0 lead. We're really giving it to Texas State at this point. Right. We take back over after Texas State three and out. We're up 10-0. We get one, two, three, four first downs, essentially walking our way downfield. We get down to the – we cross midfield. We get to the 41-yard line. And we flame out, end up going for it on a fourth and six from the 37-yard line. We don't get it. I think Frank Harris, it's a broken play. Frank Harris has to scramble for like three yards. We don't get it. It's a turnover on downs. And instead of UTSA going up 17-0, to zero, the way that they damn well should have, the way that that offensive drive was going, it's a swing where... Texas State scores after the turnover on downs. They go 11 plays for 66 yards, and now it's a 7-10 to 10 game. And then they kick a field goal before going to halftime, and now it's tied at halftime. And to me, that really encapsulated, like, the – what was it that you said? The lack of killer instinct mm-hmm. on the offense. Here you are. You're up 10-0. T- to zero, You're doing whatever you want. You're moving the chains at will. One, two, three, four first downs by way of uh, Kavorian Barnes and a completion to Houston Thomas. And then all of a sudden you flame out, you stop. Texas State gets that turnover on downs, momentum shifts. Now they're able to score not once, but twice and get it to 10 points even going in the locker room at halftime. And it's anybody's game. It's like moments like that just make me sick to my stomach, man. Another great example of that was, I, I don't remember what the score was here. UTSA had a lead, I think, at least by a touchdown. Uh, they had a great drive going. I mean, the running game was just really, really clicking. I mean, they were getting, you know, almost a first down every carry. And then Kavorian has this great run. He jukes like two guys, stops in the middle of the field, uh, does like a little spin move. And the safety for Tech State just has the perfect angle to rip the ball out of Kavorian's hands. And I mean, it, it, it was really lucky for Tech State, I feel like, because it's not like the safety, like, intentionally clubbed the ball out of sure. Yeah. It, that just, you know, it was just a football play, you know. Uh, Kavorian rarely fumbles. So I'm not saying, like, you know, shame on Kavorian for fumbling that ball. You know, he had a decent gr- grasp on it. Um, but that would have been the knockout blow on that drive, in my opinion. The way they were moving the ball at will. Uh, Texas State looked gassed. I think they had like three linemen go down with cramps on that drive alone. Mm. You know, Kavorian or any of the running backs, you know, punch one in on that drive to get a two-score lead heading into the fourth quarter. The game's over at that point. That's right. That's right. Opinion. And that fumble just completely reinvigorated the Bobcats. And then I think I think that next play was that 50-yard, 55-yard bomb TJ Finley threw. You're absolutely absolutely right, Jared. So that drive that you're describing was the beginning of the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. Gaborian Barnes had just popped off for a 13-yard run and a 12-yard run before that fumble. UTSA is up 17 to 10, could go up 24 to 10 to start the fourth. Put this thing on ice. That fumble swings momentum. TJ Finley hits a 55-yarder down to the UTSA seven-yard line. And by the grace of God, they completely 
shoot themselves in the foot by way of a false start penalty and an intentional grounding, which was them all the way back to UTSA 20 to the top of the red zone. And they had to settle for a field goal. But that game, by all measures, should have been tied up 17 to 17 with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter after TJ Finley's 55 yard uh, bomb. Where's the killer instinct at, man? That's what I want to see the most this week, man. Just be opportunistic. Compound on success. Put the ball in the damn end zone, man. Put the ball in the damn end zone. Shout out to Chase Allen. Came back this week. I think it was clear he was planned, probably planned to be the starter. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hit a 46-yarder. And... Good enough to be named the Conference USA Special yeah. Teams Player of the Week. He um, hit a 43-yarder with five minutes and 47 seconds uh, to play. And that's what gave us that final separation. But prior to that, he had a 46-yarder. Mm-hmm. So he had a 46 and a 43, both right down the middle mm-hmm. of the pipe. First mm-hmm. one from the right hash. Pretty oh, nasty true. angle yeah. on it. Yeah, and uh, so really good stuff. Really good stuff from the Alabama transfer. Um, the, the ball doesn't look as pretty coming off his foot as I think it did for Sackett and DePlessis, but mm. I don't give a damn. Put it through <laughs> the updrights, and we're taking the money, baby. So shout out to Chase Allen. Great debut as a roadrunner. Uh, pretty good day in the office to get special teams player of the week, your first start. Um, but uh, hopefully his services are not needed as much against Army as they were against Texas State. Although I feel like they will be because Army's pretty tough too. Last thing I want to talk about on this game, kind of big picture. UTSA wasn't the only team that lost offensive linemen in this game. Texas State's uh, best offensive lineman, their left tackle, went out pretty early as well. Looked like it was probably a knee injury. Mm-hmm. These knee injuries in the Alamo, Alamo Dome are really um, starting to raise an eyebrow. One of our subscribers, Eric, asked us, do we think the turf at the Alamo Dome could be a factor? And UTSA's poor luck with the offensive line help. Sorry, health, I meant to say, not help. Fascinating question, man. I had to really think about this one. I have to, I don't, I, and I, of course, can't tell you off the top of my head, but I don't know how many of our offensive line injuries last year happened at home. Yeah. I think that would be a pretty critical piece of information to know. But, I think there were two. There were two in Austin. I'm pretty sure. Makai Hart got hurt in the Houston game, so that was in the Alamo Dome. That was in the Alamo Dome. You know, I feel like most of the injuries probably happened in practice. But what I can say objectively was the Alamo Dome turf was replaced in 2019. Mm. Typically, turf has like an eight-year lifespan. But you can kind of see wear and tear on that turf. It doesn't look new for sure. So it's what, like halfway through its lifespan, I guess you could say. Sure. But because, you know, UTSA doesn't practice in the Alamo Dome, it doesn't get as many snaps as like, you know, a team's home stadium does where they're practicing and scrimmaging there all the time. So I don't know, man. I mean, I, I think objectively, there shouldn't be anything wrong with that turf if it's installed correctly. But, uh, you know, at this point in time, I'll, I'll consider any any theories that could explain this because it, it's, it's been ugly for sure. 
Are they taking but, proper care uh, of it know. when they're rolling Bad Bunny stage on top? You know what I mean? I mean it's all knows? the yeah, other, all the other events that, that host the Alamo Dome. I do think a lot of other programs have similar issues too, though. Obviously, like we're we're closest to UTSA, and we hear these stories the most, we see them the most here. Um, but to lose a couple of starters on your offensive line every year is probably pretty normal, all things considered. I think like you sure. see teams have success because uh, their offensive line are healthy, but that's like survivorship bias, right? been interesting and frustrating to say the least where we did see the killer instinct in full effect was on the defense jared uh, we were talking about that critical drive after Gavorian barnes's fumble at the beginning of the fourth quarter yes texas state made a few mistakes to get them back to their own 20 yard line and then you had a massive bomb rush from nick booker brown to sack T.J. Finley for a loss of six yards. The very first two plays from scrimmage for Texas State. Um, running back, I think it was Calvin Hill, got completely stuffed at the line of scrimmage. And then T.J. Finley is sacked by Avery Morris for a seven-yard loss. That's how he opened up the day with just havoc being wreaked on that backfield. This is the kind of stuff that we were talking about in our season previews, things that we were looking forward for the defense to do. These types of plays right here where we get into the backfield and we disrupt everything that is happening for the offense by way of sacks, by way of tackles for loss, which UTSA got to TJ Finley six times throughout the contest, made a hell of a lot of plays blown up the backfield, and were really just a force for those UIW transfers on the offensive line to deal with all night long. Yeah, UTSA's athleticism, I think, really shown out on the defensive side of the ball. UT, uh, Texas State slash Incarnate Ward's offensive line was just outmatched. They they did not have the quickness to get into their pass protection sets and hold up against the speed of like the likes of Trey Moore and stuff like that. I also think like the the big uglies did a lot of work just moving that pocket. Yeah into tj finley's lap and he's not a very mobile guy you know he's he's a big old fellow man that's that a big boy right there um i think they listen with 255 i wouldn't be surprised if he's pushing 260 270 to be honest with you um so when that pocket is pushed closer to his feet it's hard for him to navigate and, and, and that sack from nick booker brown is one of those plays like you just didn't win their one-on-ones right off the snap on the initial pass rush but they moved that pocket into finley's lap and then he went to go step up, and then Nick Booker Brown was kind of right there to to jump on him and, and, and get that sack. So, you know, shout out to Brandon Matterson, Joe Evans, Brandon Brown, um, Christian Clayton. I think all those guys were, were moving the pile, and they're not going to get credited with a sack yeah. or maybe in the half sack. They might not even get credited with a quarterback hurry, but the work that they did in the middle of the field, the middle of that um, line of scrimmage is what opened things up with Jamori Robinson and – um, and Aya and Yamu before he went down with his injury, which unfortunately pretty serious. So just want to give a shout out to the guys in the middle doing their work. And uh, unless you're a sicko like me and break down every play, you're probably not going to notice it that much. And you got to shout out American Athletic Conference's Defensive Player of the Week, Mr. Trey Moore, who's an absolute force to be reckoned with, with uh, two sacks again. Oh, well, three sacks, I think. So seven tackles, three sacks. Uh, and let's see, he's got on the season, 
two sacks per game. So, so four sacks total on the season. And then um, two and a half tackles for loss per game. It was five total there. Uh, just really, really filthy stuff from Trey Moore, man. He's really ball hawking through the first two games this season. His um, his technique on his pass rushing moves is so advanced for his age. It's mm. incredibly impressive. He's a he's a physical beast for sure. He's got a huge motor. He's fast. He's strong. He's quick. Uh, but the way he uses his hands coming off the edge is what really sets him apart from other guys that have that same athletic ability. Uh, just a real joy to watch uh, for a former defensive lineman like myself. And uh, we're going to be watching him all year. He's coming for the single season sack record for UTSA. He's well on pace for it. I'm excited to watch, uh, you know, it's like the Mark McGuire home run you know, race. <laughs> you know? I'm, I'm counting down the sacks every week, you know. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's well, on cool. the way. Certainly Anything the way. else we want to hit on Texas State-wise before we hit over, talk about Army? Um, just a couple of special mentions. Uh, only one penalty from the Roadrunners coming uh, off of bravo. eight last week against U of H. We said that that was going to be quickly corrected. It looks like it has been. Let's hope that it stays that way. True. But there were a couple of times where UTC had to burn timeouts because they were not communicating well from the sideline. Very poor, very poor. It happened in both halves. It happened in the first half and it happened in the second half. Yeah, special team mistakes that. as well. Not as bad as the Houston game, but they were there. Mm-hmm. And a big shout out to Kavorian Barnes, his second straight um, 100 yard rushing game. I think fourth straight if you go back to last season, but two so far already this season. 103 yards on 26 carries, four yard average. Looks really, really filthy out there, toting the rock. We also got a shout out Robert Henry, eight carries, yep. 34 yards, 4.3 yards per carry. And uh, Rocco Griffin getting some work in there too. Three carries, 22 yards. Uh, he had one long one that was a 23, 20 yard burst into the end zone. Uh, big shout out to Rocco Griffin, Robert Henry, and Kavorian Barnes, well on his way to a thousand yard rushing season as a red shirt sophomore. What up? Best uh, collection of three running backs UTSA has had since Bukacha, Glasgow, Armstrong? I think without a doubt. If you want to say there, three, there's no way. There was one really good group with Jarvion, but I feel like this group might be better. It's too early to say definitively, but another thing we'll be watching throughout the rest of the season. Was the three running back core superseded? The three wide receiver core. Oh, no. Whoa. Slow down. (laughs) Slow down. Uh, Last guy I want to give a brief shout out to, Willie McCoy. What a crazy touchdown catch he had. Leaping, spinning, grabbing, falling. All of it was beautiful. It was like a ballet in air with a football thrown at him. Beautiful stuff. Excited to see him in the offense more now that he's healthy. All right, cool. Let's take a quick cumbia break. And we'll come back and preview the Army Black Knights a little bit. It's just going to be a long pod this week. Hope everyone's sticking with us. 
I feel like we don't need to preview Army, just given the fact that UTZ has played them so many times <laughs> over the past couple of years. I mean, I look at their stats and it's like, oh, yep, remember that name. I remember that name. I remember that guy. Somebody wants to. But I just I feel like UTSA fans at this point kind of know what they're getting with Army. With a very important caveat that we'll discuss. So Army's season is off to a uh, dicey start. I guess just say if you're a program like Army and you start your season losing to the Louisiana Monroe Warhawks, mm. the message boards are gonna be saying a lot. And I kind of tell y'all, man, Army football message boards, it's a different beast. Different kind of poster you're dealing with <laughs> when it comes to a bunch of retired Army admirals getting off their hot takes about the Black Knights <laughs> option attack. Um, but I think given the transformation this program is going through right now, it's a little bit understandable. They end up losing that game. Oh crap! I I closed Seven, it. It was seventeen to thirteen off of ULM's fourteen fourth quarter points. Yeah, brutal. What an ugly game too. I, I watched most of that game, and to call it a slugfest, I think is an understatement. It's, <laughs> it was. It's, it's thirteen to three Army with ten minutes left in the fourth quarter. Oh, that hurts. Did, did they have a special teams mistake? I'm just like, how do how's that fall apart like that? Ugh. Rough. Um, it's a brutal way, brutal way for them to go out. But no, not necessarily. ULM just came down, went downfield, and got a touchdown to make it ten to thirteen. But then Army has back to back turnovers. They have a fumble. ULM scores. They have an interception. ULM could have daggered them with, but they missed a field goal, I think. Uh, but the damage had already been done. It was seventeen thirteen. ULM. In the I, debut, Army had a lead and they threw an interception. What? <laughs> that is, just, it doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound right. <laughs> we'll get to it though. We'll get to it. Second game back home at Mitchie Stadium, they had Delaware State. Mm. At first, my score app that I have on my phone only said Delaware. And when I tell you that there is a massive difference in competition level between Delaware and Delaware State, I got pretty worried when I saw the 57 to zero final thinking sure. they had beat yeah. the Delaware Hens by that much. Delaware is one of the strongest programs in the FCS. They're in the playoffs mm-hmm. like every year. Delaware State is not that. They are ranked 115 out of 128 in the FCS SB plus. Okay. So that's they, they beat 57 to zero. They arguably looked worse than that in the game last week. I saw a running back tackle a quarterback in pass protection. Yikes. They had a false start that was so bad. Like, I don't think that the lineman was even trying to block anyone. It was like he was more like getting up to just line up for the play and the center snap the ball. A lot of picks, a lot of fumbles. Their quarterback had to leave the game in the second quarter because just he got pummeled. Eesh. And just they they did not look like a division one football team at all it was really ugly but honestly that was exactly what army needed was a a lesser opponent that they could just kind of get up into gear get their offense flowing the way they imagined that it would kick the cobwebs out bounce back from the loss to ulm 
and get ready for um, a pretty massive jump up in competition to UTSA. Right. So the Army, yes, we played them a lot over these last couple of years, and we're all used to that crazy triple option offense that they would run against us, but this is a new-look Army. And so there are some offensive line rule changes regarding the cut block that occurred last season, and that kind of changed the way the offensive line is able to play and, and sort of get their get their rocks. But now they've completely pivoted into more of a balanced, balanced offense, the right word to say for this arm, for this new look army, Jared. Well, I want to clarify offensive linemen can still cut block. It's outside the tackle box where you can't cut anymore. Right. So yeah, that's kind of what army um, and the service academies would, would really pop their big plays with would be like uh, the wing back you know, going out and cut blocking a safety or a cornerback that's not used to fielding a cut block and they don't know to keep their arms down or whatever. Um, so that was the rule change that hurt the service academies really badly. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I guess like more balance is definitely accurate, but just the biggest change overall is that they are not under center. They're in the shotgun for mo- for as many snaps as any other modern college football offense would be. Which you'd never see that from an army team, right? Yeah, they look more like Coastal Carolina than they do look like Navy. I think is a, a concise way to put it. Wow. So they're still an option team. They're still going to run a lot of speed option, read option, uh, triple option out of the shotgun and stuff like that. But they're not going to look like they did last year, where you've got eleven guys just bunched up together, ten guys bunched up together. Um, all within a couple of inches of each other, right? They're they're a little bit more spread now, um, not as spread out as a UTSA or a team that plays with four wide receivers would. Um, you know they're probably still going to have H backs out there quite a bit. They're going to have a tight end out there quite a bit. Um, but it it is different for sure. Yeah, I guess yeah. balance isn't quite right because they're still running the ball forty. 40- five to yeah, 50 like times 85 percent or something like that right yeah but the shotgun is something that you we i don't think we've ever seen army stand a shotgun in any of their previous contests against us no only a third and long yeah but now army's going to come off shotgun on first down they're going to throw the ball on first and 10 they're going to throw just you know quick bubble screens because <laughs> in the past if they took a shot it was usually like a play action deep throw something like that mm-hmm. not exactly the case anymore. That. yeah their tempo is still really, really slow. They are 129th in the country in place per game. Is that right? That can't be right. This says they only, they've only run 14 plays per game. There's no way that's right. Uh, I think the stat preview I'm looking at is <laughs> BS. Uh, but they still have a pretty slow tempo on offense for sure. You know, they're they're not running like, oh, spread offense, up tempo, hurry up, get to the ball, get to the line, snap the ball really fast. Uh, there's still a slow methodical offense for sure, um, which I, I think kind of takes away from that spread offense a bit. You know, I, I feel like that's like the next transformation they need to make as well as increase the tempo. Sure. Um, so they can really punish teams when they're not lined up and stuff like that. So that's probably the biggest difference between UTSA's offense and Army's offense is that UTSA plays with a pretty fast tempo, even though they don't feel as fast 
as they've done in past two years. Uh, as far as you know, how quickly it's done the ball, they're they're out there still amongst the top of the country. Uh, whereas Army is going to be near the bottom. Okay. Yeah. 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 So they're they're definitely still taking their time. So I'm counting about seventy two snaps week one against UL Monroe. Yeah, I, I looked it up. They they've run 120 snaps this year, so that's 60 a game, quite low. I think you yeah, think like 90. Last I, think game. We had, I think we had 100 against UT, 100 uh, yeah. against Texas State. Yeah, yep. yep. 100 100 total plays against Texas State. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a totally different, totally different tempo that you're going up against. Is that something that? I mean, yeah, it really, really wears down and hurts your defense, but. If Army's not moving the ball on offense, they can only run plays so slowly. Mm-hmm. And I get the hankering that UTSA defense is going to cause a lot of trouble for this Army offense as they try to figure that out. Uh, Bryson Daly's done a good job of throwing the ball so far this year. He hasn't been bad. Sure. The times that he has dropped back, he's he's thrown the ball well. He's delivered it. But have they really gone up against a defense that's going to give him fits? They've gone up against a defense that can really get in the way of their run-heavy attack. I mean, they, ULM's this, defense looks solid, but UTSA's at a whole other level athletically than ULM. Totally, totally. And uh, I think it's fair to say that this is going to be the first real test for Army, and that's after they lost to ULM in week one. Right, right. And, and so, you do have to give them a bit of a grace period with the offensive change, right? So I think the UL, like, but I mean, both games are, are really hard to draw a lot of, <laughs> I guess, takeaways from um, because ULM game, the first game of this new offense, Delaware State just completely unmatched, had no business being on the field with Army. So it's hard, to, I think, to really know who this team really is. And I'm not saying they're going to like start clicking on this new offense and they're going to be the army of old, but playing out of shotgun and just like dominating winning by 20 games or 20 points a game. But, uh, you know, even if they lost to ULM, I think they could come out against UTSA and look a heck of a lot better than they did in that ULM game. Certainly. Even, so. if, even if UTSA's offense is um, a level above what the Warhawks have. It's a totally different look. They've got a lot of adjustments. You know, you've got a different offensive scheme. I believe they've got a a new offensive coordinator this season, Drew Thatcher. Yeah. Brought in a new running backs coach from Cincy, Darren Page. It's a very, very different look for these guys. And, you know, one thing that they were able to do to UTSA last season was throw the ball well and, and score quickly, which are two very uncharacteristic things of Army. I don't really see that repeating itself this Friday. Yeah, I don't either. I, I mean, I think the main thing with that is QTSA like wasn't prepared for it. Uh, but now the cat's out of the bag that, you know, Army is going to throw the ball or attempt to throw the ball, you know, whatever way you want to to view it, right? So I, I think it's going to be more normal matchups. Army had surprising speed last year, right? So I, I'm not going to discredit those guys' ability to get open. Sure. On UTSA secondary, uh, but I think UTSA is well prepared to defend against the pass, given what we've seen first two weeks of the season. And quarterback Bryson Daly is the man to stop. 
not only is he the quarterback, but he's also the number one runner as well. Yep. Ran 23 times against ULM. And from what I've seen from him is he's certainly a power type of runner. He's a downhill guy. And uh, kind of has given some guys some difficulty in bringing down. But he's the one that's getting the most touches and the most carries out of anybody. I mean, you stop Bryce Daly, you effectively stop Army's offense. That's fair to say. I mean, the, the biggest plays are going to hit on most likely are going to be those options to the outside where they're going to get a UTSA player in isolation. He's going to have to pick between the pitch man or the running back um, or the quarterback and the pitch man, whatever, whatever way you want to label them, miss that tackle. And then it's off to the races and they have the speed to punish you in those situations. Right. So I think those are the places you have to worry about most. If you're the UTSA defense, they're probably going to hit some passes. Sure. Uh, but I think what we saw last year probably won't be replicated where they threw for like a school record 350 yards or something like that. Cause you know, just cause their passing game is going to be more conventional this year and, and not be like kind of the, these shocker like tight end pop plays and play action and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think outside of Bryson Daly, the, the one guy you probably got to watch out for and he doesn't, get a whole lot of carries when he does he seems to have that sort of speed that you're talking about that's ajon marshall mm-hmm. who popped off a 35 yarder against delaware state he popped off a 36 yarder against ul monroe and only at both those games they only got two touches coming out of the backfield but it's like he didn't need any more than that when he catches it the guy's gone so yeah i think you do have to respect the speed you've definitely got a point there do we have anyone that can match Army's speed on UTSA's defense? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, it, it's not so much that they have guys that are faster than UTSA's players, but it's more of like if UTSA slips up and they don't pick up a guy, Army mm-hmm. has a speed to punish you for that and and take a small mistake and turn it into a big play. Okay. So it's more just playing, you know, it, the same as when they were the more traditional under center triple option team, you just play sound assignment football and you'll be okay. But right. when you make those mistakes, they're going to really punish you for it. So Army's got a lot of growing pains to figure out, but mm-hmm. we're not too much worried about them coming into the Alamo Dome. I think one thing um, maybe you could be worried about is the short week for UTSA yeah, in for preparation. Sure. I mean, and, and the emotional hangover of coming off of two really, really close games weird game with Frank Harris just looking kind of unhealthy, I guess you could say. I mean, not at least. Right. Um, so probably a weird sentiment. Uh, we'll talk about Frank's status here in a bit. So I think you do have to have concern of the team coming off of injuries, uh, offensive line included. Short week, like just it's been a wild roller coaster, I think, for this team. And you don't want to use the word trap game because that implies that like Army is a team that UTSA should just smash. And that's not the case. Like they're still a really good, strong program. Took UTSA to overtime last year. Uh, but it's more of like the emotional trap 
of uh, coming off that big game in a short turnaround. Like you're not going to mm-hmm. reset flush that previous game properly. And it was a very physical game. Both games were Houston and Texas State were very physical. A lot of plays, a lot of contact, you know, high strain through all four quarters of those. So, yeah, I mean, it's been a very demanding first two weeks for you to say complete opposite of Army that had a cakewalk against mm-hmm. Delaware State last week. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, Jared. I think the bye week might be coming at the most opportune time for UTSA. And My opinion about that bye week has certainly changed. <laughs> certainly. <laughs> big time, big time. This team looks like they need a bye week right freaking now. Uh, this is a team that is extremely mentally fatigued, emotionally fatigued, and physically. Uh, a lot of injuries, Adrian, guys. They Honestly, they just need time to work on that offense, man, to just drill, drill, drill. It's not there. Repetition. It's yeah. not there. It's not yeah. there, right? That offense has got to get there before we get into conference play. They need to make some adjustments, move some of those receivers around a little bit to different positions, scrap some plays, come up with some new ones, change some route combinations, stuff like that. 17 points per game is not going to make any noise in the AFC. Yeah. yeah. Not going to happen. Yeah. Not going to happen. And so you, you look at the offensive line has been banged up. You look at Frank, who, who goes down twice in the game against Texas State. Both of them, pretty scary injuries. He's down there for a little while on the first yeah. one. That's second one. I thought, I thought it was the end. end yeah, the he, he comes out for one play, comes right back in, which felt irresponsible <laughs> of him yeah. going back out there in the first place. You, you there, was, there was three minutes left. You have a lead. You have just three minutes left till halftime, and you have a lead. And you're throwing the guy back out there. Your star quarterback. You know he's fragile, and he's on the ground and like what clearly looks like agony, for lack of a better word, after that first one. He comes right back into play, uh, I think one down later, takes a snap, gets injured again. The cart comes out. The cart doesn't come out on the middle of the field, but he got on the cart to go into the tunnel. A lot of people miss that, but whenever he got to the end zone, they, they cart him out at the end of the second quarter. Mm-hmm. Definitely felt like it was over Frank Harris. So irresponsible for him to be out there whenever he was, when he got that second injury. And then for him to come back and play the second half was, it was shocking. It was scary. Uh, It was probably necessary for UTSA to win the game. It doesn't look like there's a backup on this roster that is ready to play. But the jury is out on Frank Harris. Jared, I mean, is it worth playing him against Army in Tennessee if his health is on 100%? Or do you need to give that guy three weeks of just practice, reps, and rehab until we get in the conference play? For me, I think it really depends on what is up with his toe. Because if he has like a turf toe situation going on, it's not going to get better unless you take time off and just don't put pressure on that toe, on that foot. So if that's what he's dealing with, I I would love to see him sit, honestly, because you got that bye week too. Mm-hmm. You, you missed two bye week games, one of which you probably can win without him. The other one, you didn't have a great chance in any way, to be completely honest. And then you get the bye week. It's pretty enticing to to have your star quarterback completely rested up, ready to go for his final run through um, conference play, first time in this new conference. So I don't know. I mean, if the toe is just like nothing serious, 
it doesn't hamper his performance, then I, I'm fine with letting him ride it out. He knows the risk. He's uh, literally a grown man at this point. Um, and I don't think that whatever UTSA has behind Frank is going to be better than Frank at 70 or 80% health, which is a question we've gotten a lot of recently. Well, that's just the talking about the turf toe, but what about the obvious fact that he hasn't been 100% in games one or two prior to going down with a toe injury? Yeah, and right? how I mean, much of that? Yeah, how much of that is is mental rust of having not played in a while versus like the physical aspect of it? Of going, I mean, there there were a lot of drives, especially in the Texas State game, where Frank physically looked like his old self, where he was moved around the pocket, he had some throws with some zip on him, he got the ball downfield. So I don't know. It's it's just really hard to to say from this outside perspective. It's hard, man. It is really hard. But I, if if you would have told me after two complete football games, Frank Harris would have a two touchdown to three interception ratio, hmm. yeah, I would have called you crazy. I would have called you batshit right. crazy. Right. Agreed. But there's there's a lot more to it than just Frank's health and his rust, right? It, I mean, it comes down to receivers, pass protection, play calling, all that. It all ties in together. That's tough. It sounded like Jeff Trailer wasn't too sure about it whenever he was asked in uh, post-game and after-practice interviews. So we'll have to see if Frank is going to be in the game against the Army on Friday. If Frank is not in the game... Is an Eddie Lee Marburger led UTSA better or worse than UL Monroe? Hmm. I think they're probably better than ULM with Eddie. But yeah, I mean, that's tough. It's tough. I'll also say uh, two things as well. So there was a picture going around of Frank in a walking boot at a charity event. Uh, people pretty much took that as he's not going to play. Um, I wouldn't jump to that conclusion. When you wear a boot like that, you're wearing it for protection and preventative reasons. Mm-hmm. In most cases, uh, if there was a serious injury, it would be a, a hard cast. Like if there was a surgery that happened Correct. or something like that. Yeah. Um, so the, I think the walking boot, I think people can calm, calm down. And that's going to say he's going to play, right? Just the presence of a walking boot alone is not going to guarantee that he's not playing. It's very common for guys to twist an ankle during practice, stub a toe, um, whatever it might be, and then wear that boot throughout the week if they're not practicing anyways. And even if they are practicing, you wear it to class and stuff like that just to make sure you're not putting any pressure on it um, and making the situation worse than it is. So um, let's let's hold on 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 Frank's status for sure. Uh, Also... I think Owen McCown is hurt. Yeah. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. Maybe so. Unconfirmed. Just just a just a hunch I have. But yeah. But you know, Eddie Lee didn't look sharp against Tech State. That's for sure. But I think if he if he gets to prep a week to be the starter, they know Frank's not playing, I think we'll have a better showing. You know, getting thrust in mid-game after an injury. Okay. And you can kind of adjust the offense around, you know, Eddie Lee's uh, strengths and um, 
strengths and lack of experience and all that. Vegas says UTSA is a nine point favorite over this army team this Friday. Mm -hmm. This Friday, folks, Friday night, ESPN <laughs> primetime. How cool is it, man? Friday night game on ESPN. Sign me up. Friday night game on ESPN, six o'clock kickoff, man. Like right when you're getting off of work, UTSA is going to be on television at whatever place you go to after work. Doesn't matter where you go, what restaurant, what bar, UTSA is going to be on the TV. Yep, which is really, cool. really cool. Yeah, pretty cool. Huge, huge spotlight game for UTSA for sure. Uh, which is going to suck so bad if Frank can't go, and then you know he loses that opportunity uh, to further cement his his legend, his legacy. Right. Um, so hopefully he's he's all good. Right. We didn't really talk about Army's defense much, but it is the same old Army defense that you know, love and hate. Fast, no. physical, relentless. Play a lot of guys. Swarm to the ball. Mm. One guy I'll call out though, because he's probably going to be familiar to a lot of listeners' podcast. Max De Domenico. He Domenico, a, yeah, yeah. He's he's a defensive back from uh from Clements and Shirts. Very very close uh, family friend of the Frank Harris family, if I recall that correctly. So local guy went to all kinds of you could say games camps. Ended up at Army. Had an interception against ULM. He's in their uh, top five, top six, top seven tackler, something like that. Um, mm -hmm. So I assume that he's a starter. If not, he's sure playing a lot. Just yep. Good group defense, man. I mean, they're going to do what they always do. And they're going to be tough. They're going to be hard-nosed. And UTSA is not going to get easy scores against this defense for sure. Is the run game going to be as successful as it has been the last two weeks against Army's defense? I think it, I think it could be. It could be. It's tough with those injuries to the offensive line, for sure. Um, but I just feel strongly in UTSA's running backs. I think they'll be okay. Because, and again, because we're, they've not been breaking off long runs. So it's not like we have to worry about that going away because they haven't had it the past two weeks. So I, uh, I think it'll yeah. mostly look the same. You can still get those consistent chunks of four and five and six yards. Yeah. So you'll right? be able to move the six. You'll stay ahead of schedule, but probably not going to bust that 30, 40 yarder. That's fair. We can live with that. Be a slow, drawn out game. Uh, um, well, I don't know if it'll be slow because Army's going to run the ball so much. UTSA might as well, especially if Eddie Lee's the quarterback. So it might actually be a pretty quick game. <laughs> well, slow, I guess, in the in the sense of, you know, you watching it, you're not going to see a whole lot of big explosive plays. Sure. You're going to see a lot of running the ball. And uh, there'll be more time between scores, probably. Definitely. So you're going to see longer drives, more drawn out drives. And so, yeah, so everyone that was at the Alamo Dome waiting for that big explosive offense to come to town. I, I don't think that it's going to show up this week, not against army, not with the health status of this team. I do think UTSA still wins this game. I think it's about just as ugly of a win as the Texas state one was. I think our defense is going to have a good day. I think our offense is still going to have its, um, its lulls that it's been having. And I can't come in here with confidence and tell you UTSA is going to put up 27 or 34 points of offense because we just haven't done it. Mm -hmm. 
And I've seen nothing to indicate that it's just going to turn around in five days. Mm-hmm. It would be kind of weird if if it turned around that quickly against a defense as strong as armies. Right. It would be unexpected. Sure. Right. I do expect UTSA's defense to, you know, buckle down, not let anything get past them. I'm sure Army will have a couple of those big runs. But ultimately, this is a low-scoring affair, dude. Uh, I've got it 23-14 to 14 Roadrunners. Man, I had 23-13 Roadrunners. Wow. But I was talking with a buddy, so he bet the under really fast because it was like 44, I think, when he got it at his, at his sports book. And I was like, on paper, that seems like such an obvious under to hit with the way the UTSA's offense is played, strength of their defense, poor offenses showing for you, um, for Army against ULM. But college football just has this knack of like when two defensively led teams meet each other and everyone's expecting this like two score <laughs> slugfest, it just turns into a 45 to 42 kind of game. So who knows? Maybe we just need one of those. Maybe we just need one coming out party and uh, the office so. will have arrived. I hope the so. Only hope. I just, I still, I still keep feeling those shoestring tackles, man. If they don't make them, this offense is looking pretty dang good. I mean that I really feel like that's the number one thing that can help us feeling good about the offense again is literally just guys not being able to hold on to a running back's ankle as they run past them in the open field. I did find it interesting that Vegas had UTSA's previous point totals for the Houston game and for the Texas State game, both over 60 points, and this one to be drastically lower at 45. What does that say, you know? I think they've started to adjust. I think also the health concerns probably weigh in there as well. uh, Of course. The offensive linemen. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Delaware State was terrible, but Army still – Threw a shutout against them. So, well, held you all into 17. For the betting DGENs, we both did have Texas State and UTSA. We both had the under for that game. So, you can subscribe yeah. to the Alamo Audible newsletter for all of the, uh, <laughs> to all of the, we, we both had lines. Texas State covering as well, too. Correct. All right, Hitchin. It's going to be an interesting week for sure. Short turnaround. I'm excited for this. I mean, I get off work, crack a beer, throw the TV on. I'm excited for it. How does uh, Alamo Dome crowd look after 49,000 people in there last week in a lackluster offensive performance, but a service academy game in Military City, USA? Mm-hmm. Well, the ticket map I thought looked pretty healthy for a Monday when I checked it out earlier today. Okay. It, I mean, if people are expecting 40K, they're probably going to be disappointed for sure. Um, but I think it'd be like a, a 28, 29,000 crowd. I think it'll look good on TV. I think it'd be nice and loud. I think it'd be solid. I, I'm not overly concerned. Yeah, I think you're about right. I think if the game was on a Saturday, you could maybe be more bullish on a 33, 35K. But Friday afternoon, this is really going to just hold the crowd back a little bit. So I think high 20s, close to 30. You're about right. I think think the students will show up pretty good, though. Well, let's get it. Friday night games, always a good time. Yeah. 
they should uh, shut down campus early. President Amy, if you're listening. I think it'd be you, a know, better you know, you know, Tennessee or Tech would have shut campus down early if they had a Friday game on ESPN. Let's do the right thing here. If you're two and zero, isn't that an easier call to make? <laughs> well, I mean, if they're two and zero, they'd be ranked, Adrian. So yes. Ah, I'm sorry. I hate to twist the dagger. No, oh, what twisted the dagger was Rice winning the Bayou bucket against the same Hugh of Hey, good for Rice, man. I, I, I had a feeling that they had a good shot, honestly. I, I wasn't ballsy enough to call the upset outright. Uh, but, right, I mean, right after our game, I was talking to friends. I was like, yeah, Rice might take them, dude. They really might. Before we get too far into that, our Patreon episode this week will be looking at our American Athletic Conference peers and how they have fared through the first two yes. weeks of the season relative to that of UTSAs. So Adrian said, don't give out the supply, give them a taste. <laughs> Shut your mouth. <laughs> but yeah, that's going to be our, our bonus episode this week. Uh, we're getting back in the groove of things, man. Had a mailbag. Now we're doing an uh, around the conference early reaction. I'm sure all those takes are going to age really well um, in two months for sure. <laughs> but tune in for that. Um, and thank you to our board of trustees members on Patreon for their support to make these bonus episodes happen. That includes Digiteek, John Albell, Lino Perez of Los Dos Rowdy Tailgating. Uh, and shout out to uh, Lino and uh, another BO team member, Brandon Grill, the Realty Group. They are the Dos Meeps Tailgating Group, and they won the Runners Rising Project Tailgate Challenge, which raises money for NIL activity. Uh, they raised, maybe I should say we raised because I'm a volunteer and board member there as well, uh, almost $11,000 through that Tailgate Challenge. Nice, awesome, man. dude. Yeah, big shout out uh, to the Dos Meeps crew and all the UTSA tailgaters that came together to raise money for NIL activity at UTSA. It truly, truly makes a big difference. Um, also, shout out to Gary Rupin representing the UTSA Bird Gang tailgate. They had the Alamo Audible flag flying high and proud of their tailgate yesterday. Let's it was beautiful. Go. It's Let's a great go. feeling to text someone and say, hey, uh, just look for the Alamo Audible flag. And then boom, there they are. That's where I'm going to be at. Instant meetup. Yep. Shout out to Ray Redding and Mimi Apparel, Andy Elizada for Fish and Benefit Solutions, Ian McClendon and Seeker LLC, Brandon Padrone, Ryan Squares, and Waterman Construction. Well, thank you guys for a marathon episode. We're at 93 minutes, give or take. Pretty long one, but you know, we're off a week. We had to do it. And we'll see you guys back later this week if you're a Patreon subscriber for our first around the conference review of the AAC. Already some interesting results. We've got some quarterback changes, um, potentially some nightmare hires, and maybe not the ones that we thought would be nightmare hires. More to come later this week. Go check out the website, almaaudible.com. We've got an amazing photo gallery. We just published a crazy good cinematic game day video from Enrique as well. So once again... Thank you guys for your support and we'll see you guys back soon. 